convince us that we do not need to, um, in our own strength, strive. We have an enemy that is far too great. Um, And so we thank you that you come to be the rescuer. You come to be the redeemer. You tell us in Christ what you told Israel at the shores of the Red Sea. To stand by and watch the salvation of God only be silent. Because you don't need, you didn't need their help then and you don't need our help today. So thank you. Thank you for the word of the gospel that comes as comfort to all of us. Lord, as we turn our attention to your word this morning at the head of um, of a new year, would you stir in us a passion for your word that we might be among those who tremble at your word, that we would be among those who um, who preach your word, who memorize your word, who meditate upon your word, who delight in your word, who believe the things that you say. So would you do a work in us this morning to that end? We ask it in the name of Jesus, for his sake. Amen. amen. Happy New Year. <laughs> Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by streams of living water that brings forth fruit in season. His leaf also shall not wither, and in whatever he does he'll prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly with the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Amen. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. He was with God. Excuse me, hang on one second. All things came into being. Apart from him, nothing has come into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There came a man sent from God. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light so that all might believe through him. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world. The world was made through him, but the world did not recognize him. He came into his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of the will of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of the will of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ our Lord. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God 
from the bosom of the Father has revealed him. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. And suddenly, with the angel, there appeared a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is well pleased. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained um, access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice even in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. Character produces hope and hope will not put us to shame. Do you know why? Because God has poured his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us for at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a righteous person one would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purposes. For as many for, uh, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son in order that Christ might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies who can condemn? It's Christ that has died, yea, has risen from the dead, who has ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, and he intercedes for us right now. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God, it is with men. He will be with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said to me, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the streams of the water of life. Uh, I will give to drink from the streams of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers, and we conquer by faith in Christ, shall have this heritage. 
that I will be his God and he will be my son. Um, yeah, so my intent this morning is not to teach you the word, but to teach you about the word in hopes that as you lay out your year, that you would include um, an intensity as you press into God and to his word. And so I have a bunch of things that I want to tell you about God's word. Um, and I'm leaving off a lot of my quotations because I will run out of time if I, um, if I do that. So I'm not going to ask you to turn to a particular text. I'm just going to ask you to track with me and to think about the word of God, how precious it is to us. And like I said, my desire is to stir you up uh, so that 2021 will be a year of God's word in our church. So first thing I want to tell you about God's word is that God's word creates reality. God's word creates reality. Okay. He is, God is the ultimate reality. He is the true truth. He is existence and he's a speaker. His medium of creation is his word made flesh. So in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, he did it by his spoken word. Eli said something to me the other day. Um, he had been reading in his math, in his, uh, not math, uh, he had been reading in his science. He knows not to share math with me. But science, I'll listen. And he said, Dad, you know how uh, you've got an atom, uh, uh, a, what's neutron, electron, proton, right? So you've got, and, and there, there's all this like movement there and there's space in an atom, and an atom is the building block of the material world. He said, if you could um, take all of the atoms in our body Make sure I'm saying this right, bud. And condense it down to where there's no space in between uh, neutron, proton, electron. It's all just like they're all touching. You take out all the space. Do you know how big a person would be? I don't know how big. You would be able to fit on the head of a needle. Right? <clears throat> so basically what that means is on the, on the base level, the building blocks of the material world is a bunch of space and nothing that is the word of God, made flesh that you can bump into. So when God speaks, his word becomes flesh and all things are made through his word. The building blocks of the material world are empty, non-material things because the world is God's word made flesh. Secondly, that God's word is infallible. It is infallible, which means his word isn't merely true. It is true. But it's more than true, if you could say it this way. It's more than true because everything conforms to the Word of God. We tend to think that, um, do you guys know what a plumb bob is, you old timers? A plumb bob is you hold up uh, a cord and there's a weight on the end and you can say, you can d determine what is true um, up and down. So if you're looking at a wall and it looks like it's leaning, you can put a plumb bob on it and you can see if is it parallel with the plumb bob or is it is it off? And so a lot of times we think of God's word as <clears throat> uh, in comparison with other religious documents, we would say, well, the Book of Mormon is out of true and uh, the Quran is out of true. It's out of plumb. And then we say, well, God's word is, is true. It's plumb. And that's true, but not true enough. God's word is not just in line with reality as it exists. God's word is that which calls something into being that does not exist beforehand. God said in the beginning, let there be light. And there was no such thing. But light had to obey because God's word spoke it to be so. 
God's word is infallible. Okay? His word creates reality, and therefore it cannot err. When anything in your life, anything in your thought life, anything uh, that you think, believe, feel, when anything in your life differs from God's word, you and I need to repent. For it is not in, tr- in tune with the real standard. Okay? May 2021 be a year in which we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and that we, as Paul says, would take every thought captive to obey Christ. Do not permit rebel thoughts. Because if you know God's word is here and you're believing something else, you are out of sync with that which is real. You are out of sync with the standard. And the problem is not with God's word. It's with you. It's with me. We can repent and rightly align ourselves according to the word of God. Third, God's word is the final authority for faith and practice. How do we know what to do? How do we know what to believe? God's word is the final authority of faith and practice. So let me give you some counterfeit authorities. Let me tell you what is not the final authority for faith and practice. First is your experience. Your experience in the Christian life is not the the final authority for faith and practice. There was a guy uh, I used to know, and on several occasions, it was two, uh, not several, two, two occasions, I said something in my sermon that didn't ring true to him. And to his credit, he came to my office with an open Bible and he said, hey, I think you're off. And so for a couple of hours, we dug into the scriptures. By the way, this is not one of those like sideline things that I'll say on occasion. I'm not sure if I'm right here or not. I'm just going to give it to you and you can make your own mind up. This is one of those things that's like just very easily on the surface of things true in God's word. And he would come and he would say, I need some clarification there. And we would spend time, we would spend an hour or two hours digging into God's word. And at the end of it, he would say, I see where you're coming from. You're right. I'm, um, I'm with you. And then the next time I would see him, he's not there anymore. He's back to thinking that it was wrong. So finally I asked, like, hey, after the second time, like, what? What's happening? Like, it seems like you're rooted, like you you come and we dig into the Word, and then all of a sudden you change your mind. What's going on? And he said, well, my wife has the spirit of discernment, and she's telling me that you're wrong. She's telling me that the Word of God, the texts that you're pointing me to are wrong. Now listen to me. That is like, um, that's like giving somebody um, a greater authority than the Word of God. That, that their experience matters more than the text of Scripture. Experience, anybody's experience, is not the final authority for faith and practice. It is God's Word. It's not the crowd. Okay? It's not, um, it's not all of the powers that be that everybody thinks this. And for you to differ in any way, we're just going to mock you and laugh at you. Because everybody knows this. I heard um, somebody that I love say the other day, nobody in our church. They said, you know, I... This, I heard this one time and it sounded sketchy. It sounded really weird, but, but there's so many people talking about it that like, maybe it's true. Well, like people talking about it does not make something true, right? I mean, we know this, like the, if, you know, it, it's not a crowd of people do not make truth, truth. So it's not the experience of the crowd. It's not the opinions of the crowd. It's not history. Well, we've always done things this way, um, it's not history. History is not your, your experience, the history of the church. That's not the final authority for faith and practice. It's God's word. It's not your preference. It's not my preference. I really think we ought to do it this way. I really think we ought to do it this way. Okay, well, let's split and have a new church, right? 
The, the final authority for faith and practice is not anybody's preference, nor is it practicality. Um, that it's not that we would say, well, I, I know what God's word says, but I just don't think that'll work in our day. I don't think exalting the name of Christ, preaching the text of scripture, I don't think that'll build a church. Uh, so we need to not do it that way. <clears throat> no, practicality is not, um, is not the final rule for authority, the final authority for faith and practice. Um, God's word is what creates reality. It is infallible, and it is our final authority for faith and practice in the church. Next, that God's word is sufficient. His work is sufficient. His word is sufficient. There was a time in the Southern Baptist denomination in the 80s. Um, I was just a kid, so I couldn't fix it back then, but um, some, some, there were some liberals that had a clever workaround. They would affirm, uh, that was a joke, by the way, uh, they would affirm that um, that the word of God is infallible, that it's incapable of error. But they had this clever workaround where they would say, well, yeah, it's, it's incapable of error about the things that it talks about, or the things that it intends to teach. But they would say things like the Bible, um, it's, it's very true, but it's silent on so much. It's silent on so much. And so they would say things like the Bible is not written to be a scientific textbook, and so... In the beginning, when it says that God created the heavens and the earth and in six days and rested on the seventh, uh, that could have been uh, that could have been a, a whole lot more time, and uh, and He could have been using the evolutionary method, even though the text says that He formed man from the dust and breathed life into him, and that there were two original parents, Adam and Eve, and that all of their progeny fell, and so all of these things are assumed in the in the scripture, but the liberals came and, and tried to affirm the infallibility of God's word and the fallibility of God's word. Does that make sense? It's always the way, uh, the way um, error creeps in is we try and affirm what's true while affirming what is false. Uh, the truth is that God's word is true about everything that it concerns and it concerns everything. You can't find anything in the human experience that God's word does not have something to say about and when it says something about it, it's always true. So can you build a life? Can you build a marriage? Can you build a family, a church, a business, a culture, a country, a constitution? Can you write an album? Can you paint a painting, a, write a poem? Can you do any of these things based upon the truthfulness of God's word? The answer is yes. And not only can you do them, you cannot do any of these things without them. Okay, think about this with me. We have some people in Washington, and very few people in Washington, that really do believe the Constitution is good and grand, and they want to uh, they want to put it into practice and live in obedience to it. <clears throat> but do you think any of those people could have produced a document like that? The answer is no, because the men who produced that were saturated in the Scripture. They they were saturated in a in a biblical worldview with biblical ethics. Uh, I think it was John Adams, right, that said that the Constitution of the United States assumes a religious and moral people. That's the only type of people it'll work for. And so when we're atheistic and amoral, it uh, doesn't work. So God's word is sufficient. Next, and this is um, it's super important, that God's word is a person, right? We worship the word made flesh. When you read uh, your Bible every day, uh, sometimes, 
sometimes we come to the scripture because it's like we, we have to check a box. We feel like this is something that ought to be done. Or um, just um, sometimes I'll come to the scripture because somebody asked me a question and I need to find information. And so I'm just coming to kind of see what the word of God says. Sometimes, unfortunately, it's true, but um, unfortunate that I'll come to the text just for a sermon. Uh, what, what God, what would you have me say? Which is not a terrible thing. But at the end of the day, why do you come to the text of Scripture? You come to this book because this is where God speaks to man. Would you hear the word of your Heavenly Father? If you answer yes, you need to come here. This is where He speaks to you, and this is where He speaks to me. His word is a person. This is where we hear the voice of Christ, and this is where we uh, learn how to follow Him. So reading the word is not like... Um, reading the history of your family that like way back when in some guy you've never met that that guy way back then he did some cool things that's not what reading God's word is like reading God's word is like going to a family reunion where everybody that matters is still alive and there and you get to join the throng you get to see how your brothers and sisters walked before God and what God has done for his people so reading God's word is about coming uh, to hear from Jesus. So, so when you come to God's word, come to hear the voice of your heavenly father. Ask him, Lord, would you speak to me? Holy Spirit, would you give illumination to your word? Um, I'm convinced that um, some people don't read their scripture because there's so much confusing things. There's so many confusing things in there. So let me just show of hands. Um, have you ever known what it is to read the Bible and go, what the heck am I reading? Right? Okay, that's everybody. If you think that anybody in this room, including myself, reads the scripture and never has a, what in the world does that mean moment? Um, that's, you're, you're wrong. So uh, don't let that stop you. Matter of fact, let that spur. This, is one of, this has been one of the cool things that God did for us in 2021. We started a reading, Bible reading program. And, uh, and as Gracie comes across those like, what the heck moments, uh, she asks me, hey, what does this mean? And it leads to, to better conversation. It leads to good discipleship and conversation because half the time I don't know. And so we have to go find, we have to go pray. But the reality is like, this is God's word and this is where we interact with Jesus. So, um, so don't, let it, uh, don't let it put you uh, out of sorts that you don't understand everything on the first go. Next, God's word concerns grace and mercy. It concerns wrath and judgment. Um, there are people within the church that when they, <clears throat> when they read the scripture, <clears throat> all they see is wrath and they see no mercy. It's only God is just coming. He's angry and it's all rebuke. There's only wrath because, and they'll quote, true text. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. God is angry. He's angry. And He's coming in judgment. There's all wrath, but there's no grace. If that's you, you have not divided the word accurately. Okay? That's just not what the Scriptures teach. It's not all wrath. But, nor is it all Hallmark-style sentimentality grace. Like, like, there's, like there's no... Uh, standard of God's holiness. If all you see is sentimentality without wrath, you haven't divided the word accurately either. Okay? So let me convince you of this. 
the, the scriptures, everything in the Old Testament points forward to the coming of Christ when he would live obediently, die to pay for sin, and rise from the dead. And when he died to pay for sin, he died under the wrath of God, uh, suffering the penalty. Uh, uh, Romans 3 says he, God put him forward as a propitiation, which means a satisfaction of wrath for our sin. So everything in the Old Testament looks back. Everything... Uh, that the apostles wrote looks, uh, excuse me, everything in the New Testament looks forward to the coming of Christ. Everything the apostles wrote look back to the cross of Christ explaining that. So the cross is the epicenter of the revelation of God to man. This is what I am like. Is the cross about wrath or is it about mercy? Yes. Yes. Both. The cross is where the wrath of God is satisfied and it's also where the love of God is satisfied. The love of God is poured out to all men. The cross is the epicenter. Uh, as the, some great theologian pointed out, that on the cross, the love of God and the wrath of God kiss. They come together in this one moment where the Son of God dies to pay for the sins of the world. People saturated in the Word are the only type of people who can be rich in standard and in freedom. They can be rich in holiness without becoming stagnant, fussy um, people that think that holiness is found in the things that we give up. That's not holiness. That's not holiness. Um, that, that's just not holiness. Nor is it holiness to think like, it doesn't matter how we live. God doesn't care what we do. He doesn't care about obedience. He doesn't care about anything. There's just like fat, dumb, happy God up there, pleased with everybody no matter what we do. No, there, there is holiness in God. There is wrath in God. There is judgment coming. And there's grace and mercy and pardon and forgiveness. It's these things together. God's Word, when you come to God's Word, He, he holds out both wrath and mercy. And mercy as a way that you can get out of and escape God's wrath. That God's word is offense and defense in the spiritual battle. Um, you guys know the, the text. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers and authorities in this present darkness. Um, he tells us to stand, uh, having, I memorized this a long time ago in the King James. Um, uh, let's see, having girt yourself with the belt of truth, taking up the, uh, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, uh, taking up the, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, um, taking up the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the evil one, um, and taking up the sword of the Spirit, so, uh, which is the Word of God. So there's two things there. There's the belt of truth, two things that I want you to focus on. The belt of truth and the sword of the Spirit. One is preparatory. One is sort of an everyday, you come to the Word of God to, to gird yourself with truth, to know what truth is, to know who God is, who you are, who the world is. So that's truth. It's preparatory for battle. But there's also a sword mentioned. So there's also a time where when Satan is coming against you, you need to be able to have, um, have chapter and verse to, to fight back and to strike a blow. So... You have the, the, um, the belt of truth, which is preparatory, the sword of the Spirit, which is for battle. So prepare for battle by, by consistently being in the Word of God, and then stab, stab with the Word. i got two more and I'm done. 
God's word is alive and must be our food. Okay? There's a statement that the lie that is told a thousand times is easier to believe than the truth that's heard once. You guys know that? You hear something again and again and again and again, it's easy to believe. You hear something once, it sounds strange. Well, my exhortation to you this year is that you would actively, and to myself, that we would actively try and close our ears off to that which is not truth and actively try and train our hearts and our minds onto that which is truth, namely God's Word. The average American spends 5.4 hours a day on their phone. Can I say that to you again? The average American spends 5.4 hours a day on a phone. 13% of millennials spend over 12 hours a day. And one asks, what in the world else are they doing? How can you do that? But it gets done. How do you do five hours a day? Uh, some 12 hours a day. Baby boomers, 12, five, plus, five plus hours a day on average. Okay, Five plus hours a day on average. Um, let me tell you something. If, if you come right before breakfast and right before lunch and right before dinner, when there is served, uh, we're going to pretend like it's healthy food, salad and you know, uh, meat and potatoes, whatever, good healthy food. If you come day after day, right before breakfast, right before lunch, and right before dinner, and you pound a bunch of cake, what's going to happen to you? Are you going to have an appetite for that which is good and can, and can give you nourishment and can build you up and, and fortify your tissues? No. You're going to be full of junk. Now listen, that is what happens to so many Christians where we first thing in the morning we'll open... Whatever it is, news, social media, whatever it is. Or we'll open that, we'll give our attention, we'll give our affection there, and then we come to the Word of God as sort of an afterthought, and we, we wonder why it's not, help, it's not helping, it's, it's hard to access. Well, listen, you've been eating cake, spiritual cake, right? If you've, if you've trained your heart, trained your mind, trained your soul, if that's the, the main diet is social media or uh, news outlets or whatever it is, if that's what you're doing, there's a reason why God's word is not, uh, is not floating your boat. So, in the name of Christ, cut the cable and crack the book. Delete the app and tremble before the word of God. Listen to me. There is coming a day where you will stand before Almighty God. And if you're in Christ, you're going to pass that assessment, okay? No matter how you spend your life, Within, I mean, okay, we can debate that. <clears throat> you're going to pass that assessment if you're in Christ, guaranteed. Because we are not saved by works, we're saved by grace through faith. But listen to me. If you think that you're going to look Almighty God in the face and say, Lord, you gave me your word, you gave me your son, you gave me your spirit, you gave me the church, and I spent five hours of every day of my life Watching news that does not exalt the name of Jesus. That puts my hope elsewhere. Puts my eyes elsewhere. And you think that's going to be a, a fun conversation. Please think again. Please think again. In the name of Christ, let's reorient those things. Get, let, me, let me say this. We were having this conversation the other day. 
There are three types of things and everything fits in this category. There is that which is good, true, and beautiful. There is that which is neutral. It's just not good, not bad. It's just in the middle. And then there's that which is bad, right? So you should respond to bad, neutral, and good in different ways. Bad, you should mortify, right? You don't, you don't manage pornography. You don't manage drunkenness or gluttony or greed. You mortify those things. You, um, you by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body. You, you eradicate, mortify, kill. You don't manage. Neutral things, you have to manage or they'll become ultra big things. Good things, you make sure that you're planning so that you, so that you partake of those things. There's so many good gifts that God has given that because we don't plan on them, we don't benefit from the means of His grace there. So please, please, please think on that. Think on how much more time we give to social media, to news, and we give to God's Word. Lastly, God's Word is necessary and therefore must be shared. If God's Word is all of these things, and it is, then it must be our chief endeavor to bring it to people who do not yet have it. Okay? There's a text in 2 Kings chapter 7 where the Syrians had... Um, had gathered around Jerusalem and uh, there was famine inside and it was famine that was so terrible that people were eating people. Do I need to say that to you again? The famine was so bad. People were so hungry. People were eating people. Well, through Elisha, God said, don't fear the Syrians for tomorrow they're going to be gone. And everybody said, yeah, right. Well, there's some lepers in there um, that I think are outside the city. And they say, they look at each other And they say, look, we're going to die here, or we can go into the city and we'll die there, or we can go to the Syrians, and maybe they'll kill us, but maybe they'll give us some food. So certain death there, certain death here, potential life there, what are we going to do? Let's go potential life. Let's just see if by God's grace we can go and get some food from the Syrians. So they go, and nobody's there. Because during the night, God had sent some weird noise and convinced the Syrians that, he had, that, that the Israelites had raised up the Hittites and the Egyptians. And so they scram. They run, literally run for their lives. They drop everything. They leave everything. And so these four or five, I can't remember the number or if it even says, but these lepers come and they pillage the Syrian camp that still has Jerusalem under siege because Jerusalem doesn't know that, that they're free now. And so they go and they eat all the stuff. Then they go and they, they go into a tent and they take all the gold and all the silver and all the clothes and they go and hide them, right? And then they come back and they go and they come back and they go and they're just like pillaging. And then all of a sudden it occurs to them, you know, we're, we're doing wrong here. There are people in right there that are starving because they don't know that it's free. They don't know that they're free. They don't know that there's food. And so they, um, they say, if we do not go now uh, before the sunrise, God will turn this into harm. So they go and they share. Okay? Listen, we have, um, how many of you have more than one copy of God's Word in your home? I mean, yeah, it's basically everybody. You've got, I've got 27 translations in my pocket right now. Right? <clears throat> and last year, Missionaries that we sent out to pay were able to deliver God's word for the very first time to people who had no access. The very first time. 
we are about to raise up Timmy and send him out to a closed country. Now, let me, uh, let me say this, and I'll probably uh, delete, this, delete this part off. He's at some point going um, to talk to you about his, uh, his ministry. We're not going to know where he goes, okay? Can you all just uh, hear me on this? We are not going to know the name of the country that he's going to go and evangelize. So you're just going to have to take, get to know him, get to know him, uh, get to know whether or not he's a trustworthy individual where you can say, you know what? I don't need to know where you're going. I just know that you're going and that you're bearing the name of Christ and that you'll be faithful. And we can, we can keep in contact with him, those types of things, but we're, not everybody's going to know. But suffice it to say this, he's going to a place that does not, people that live in this place, if they wanted to, they couldn't go meet a Christian to say, tell me about Jesus. There's no access. There's no word of God. And so he, like a glorious leper, is going to go take our feast. And he's going to go say, hey, there's, there's food. There's food and there's drink and there's clothes. You come. And he's going to bring the word of God. As a church, we want to be feasting so gloriously on the word of Christ that we cannot help but invite others to feast also. Let me pray for you. Father God, we ask for affections that are not natural. Um, the natural man doesn't, doesn't accept the word of God. For these things are spiritually discerned. It takes the Holy Spirit to train our eyes and to train our hearts and train our minds to desire your word. So, Lord, I pray for myself, I pray for my church, God, that we, would be, that we would be sheep that actively close our ears off to anybody calling our name but the shepherd. So, Jesus, as I have asked you for this congregation, I ask you again in their hearing and in their presence, I ask, Lord, that you would that you would help them, help them to long for your word. And that when they come to your word, would you, would you meet them? Would you meet them? Would you call them by name and help them to know that they're being called by you? Help them to feast upon your word, to tremble at it, to delight in it. May it be light in the darkness. May it be the rock upon which we build our lives so that when the storm comes, our house will stand because it's built on the rock that is Christ and upon His Word. Would you grant that for us? We ask it in your name. Amen. This table is yet again the Word made flesh. In the Incarnation, Jesus took on flesh and bone and therefore we have bread to break and to offer. In Mary's womb, the Word took on blood so that a short time after he was born, he might pour that blood out into the ground that he made in the beginning. We come to the table to eat and drink so that the word of promise doesn't just sit out there somewhere in the air. Today, he gives us a promise we can taste, we can smell, we can chew, we can swallow, and we can also believe. But we don't come to this table to receive a better Christ as the man said, we come to receive Christ better. 
So come believing Christ for all that He has promised to be for you. You come welcome to Jesus. Holy Spirit, we do ask that You would come. We ask that You would take up as we eat the bread and drink the cup. Would You... Would You draw near, God? Would You take those gifts and those promises that in Christ are all yes and amen, and would You impart them to us? Would You help us, Lord, to um, to eat and drink receiving Christ better? God, we can't do these things, but we take it on faith that, that You are going to meet us here. So would You meet us? Would You bring us hope and joy? Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who's in need of mercy, God, that You would speak uh, you would speak to them as, as the blood of Christ speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Christ that, that, that You would speak pardon over them. Speak pardon over them. Lord, um, would You minister to us now? In the name of Christ we ask it.